It's an incredible feat that they've managed here. Compound annual gain from 1965 to 2023, 19.8% compounding over all that time over the decade, which makes Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger the goats of investing. They have 4,384,748% over that time. Hi everyone, JJ here with The Art of Value. Welcome. Well, today we're going to look at Warren Buffett's recent shareholder letter. There's always a lot to learn from his letters. He talks about investing, throws in his wisdom of a lifetime of investing as he's talking to Berkshire Hathaway shareholders. So let's just get straight into it. Warren Buffett starts off with quite a touching tribute to Charlie Munger, who's recently passed away, of course. It's Charlie Munger, the architect of Berkshire Hathaway, paying tribute to him. So I've got highlights here. He says, in 1962, he decided that he would take up money management, talking about Charlie Munger. Three years later, he told me correctly that I had made a dumb decision in buying control of Berkshire. But he assured me, since I had already made the move, he would tell me, how to correct my mistake. Berkshire Hathaway itself, when Buffett bought that textile business, it did not do well. So it was a big mistake to begin with, but he recovered. He goes on, Charlie in 1965 promptly advised me, Warren, forget about ever buying another company like Berkshire. But now that you control Berkshire, add to it wonderful businesses purchased at fair prices and give up buying fair businesses at wonderful prices. In other words, abandon everything you've learned from your hero, Ben Graham. It works, but only practiced at small scale. With much backsliding, I subsequently followed his instructions. Many years later, Charlie became my partner in running Berkshire. There's so much in that paragraph about what Warren Buffett learned over his investing career and learned from Charlie Munger and both of them together. That in the beginning, Warren Buffett was buying these fair businesses at wonderful prices, just like Ben Graham did for the most part, although Ben Graham did the best out of Geico, which was a compounder over time. But Warren Buffett did very well in those early days by doing that, buying fair businesses that were undervalued and waiting till they get to fair value or just above and then selling them and doing that over and over again. That's the Ben Graham playbook. And Charlie Munger's way of investing is different that really influenced Warren Buffett to buy wonderful businesses that compound over time but not necessarily getting them at super cheap prices, just fair prices, but the compounding does very well over the long term and the rest is history. Warren goes on, in reality, Charlie was the architect of the present Berkshire and I acted as the general contractor to carry out the day-to-day -day construction of his vision. So he's giving a lot to Charlie Munger here, owing him a lot in terms of how he invests and Berkshire Hathaway itself. He says, Charlie never sought to take credit for his role as creator, but instead let me take the bows and receive the accolades. So Charlie Munger in the background, but advising Warren Buffett, obviously huge influence on Warren Buffett over that time. Though I have been in charge of the construction crew, Charlie should forever be credited with being the architect. So he states it there for the history that Charlie Munger is the architect of Berkshire Hathaway, the way they invested the way that it became a huge business. So Charlie Munger said that what you're doing, Warren, works on a small scale and it was working incredibly well in those early days. But now you have to change to buying these wonderful businesses. And it turned out to be this Berkshire Hathaway conglomerate, which is one of the biggest companies in the world, which is compounded at huge scale over time. And we'll take a look at that. 
Now, if you're getting value out of this episode so far and you think that I'm earning it, please remember to hit that like button to help the algorithm to spread it to more people. Thanks. And let's just jump to the end for a minute to see that compounding effect that they managed over the decades. We can see here compound annual gain from 1965 to 2023 and it's 19.8% compounding over all that time over the decade which makes Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger the goats of investing to get 19.8 nearly 20% compounding for that long others have done it for a shorter time even 20 years thinking of Peter Lynch and Joel Greenblatt and people like that but to do it for that long over this time and the problem there which Warren talks about is that the money gets bigger as the money gets bigger the wallet gets bigger as he puts it usually then it's harder to compound at that rate because you're working with billions and so it's hard to find things to invest in to get that return so it's an incredible feat that they've managed here and this is the S&P 500 over that time it's managed at 10.2% so they've pretty much doubled the S&P 500 nearly, and that's 31,223% for the S&P 500, and they have 4,384,748% over that time. And we can see here from year to year, if we pick a year with really terrible returns here, we can see one of the reasons that they've done so well. So the S&P 500 in 2008 here got 37%. Berkshire Hathaway got 31.8%. Those are negative returns. So they did better than the index in that year, but to the downside, they didn't get a positive return, but it wasn't as bad as the index. They managed to not lose money as one of the main things Warren Buffett says the, one of the first rules of investing is don't lose money. The second rule is don't forget the first rule, paraphrasing there. But, you know, they do well when, when it's bad times. They still do okay. They manage not to lose as much money as others do who are speculating. If we go back to the beginning, 1965 in the 60s there, we can see that this year was 77.8%, an incredible year when the index got 11%. So working with smaller amounts of money, it was easier to compound, I think Warren Buffett would say. And that one there in 1971, it was 80.5% and the index was 146 So some huge returns in the early days there. Look at that one, 129.3%, 23.6% for the S&P 500 for that year. So some incredible returns early on. So the returns have definitely got smaller, but that is in a big way due to the amount of money to find these investments imagine trying to find investments with 10 billion dollars say to invest rather than a few million it's a lot easier to compound smaller amounts of money than it is to compound giant amounts of money now very much related to this letter is this book the essays of warren buffett a lot of what warren buffett's written over the years it's really well worth a read if you haven't it's compiled into different categories so you can dive in and learn about different subjects that he's written on he's been a great teacher over the years about his investing i'm going to put a link in the description to that a referral link if you want to have a look at that Warren Buffett continues, Charlie Munger would expect me to communicate with you this year in the regular manner, even though he's passed away recently. He and I were of one mind regarding our responsibilities to Berkshire shareholders. And this letter is to Berkshire shareholders, of course. Writers find it useful to picture the reader they seek. And he says, investors who trust Berkshire with their savings without any expectation of resale resembling in attitude people who save 
in order to buy a farm or rental property rather than people who prefer using their excess funds to purchase lottery tickets on hot stocks. So he's referring to Berkshire shareholders here. He's writing to the shareholders that are long-term shareholders. They've always cultivated a long-term shareholder base who've had these shares for decades. Many of them, a lot of them have become rich just from Berkshire. He's taking a bit of a swipe here of people who chase hot stocks and jump in and out of them rather than leaving their shareholding in one company, one good company, and letting the compounding work, which is so powerful over decades. He says, over the years, Berkshire has attracted an unusual number of such lifetime shareholders and their heirs. We cherish their presence and believe they are entitled to hear every year both the good and bad news delivered directly from their CEO, which is Warren Buffett, of course. In visualizing the owners that Berkshire seeks, I'm lucky to have the perfect mental model in my sister Bertie. For openers, Bertie is smart, wise, and likes to challenge my thinking. We have never, however, had a shouting match or anything close to a ruptured relationship. Furthermore, Bertie and her three daughters as well have a large portion of their savings in Berkshire shares. The ownership spans decades, which is similar to lots of Berkshire shareholders. So he asks, what would interest Bertie this year? What would interest Berkshire shareholders? The proverbial bottom line labelled net earnings or loss, the numbers read 90 billion for 2021, negative 23 billion for 2022, and 96 billion for 2023. What in the world is going on here? He asks because those numbers. One of those is not like the others. He explains, At Berkshire, our view is that earnings should be a sensible concept that Bertie will find somewhat useful, but only as a starting point in evaluating a business. Accordingly, Berkshire also reports to Bertie and you what we call operating earnings. This is the story they tell. $27.6 billion for 2021, $30.9 billion for 2022, that's positive, and 37.4 billion for 2023. So, so definitely a brighter picture there. The primary difference between the mandated figures and the ones Berkshire prefers is that we exclude unrealized capital gains or losses that at times can exceed 5 billion a day. 5 billion a day. Ironically, our preference was pretty much the rule until 2018 when the improved, in quotes, was mandated so they don't like that change they like to report the way that they always reported because it can fluctuate so much as he said five billion dollars a day the way that it has to be reported but they don't like to do that it doesn't give a very accurate picture of the business he says however make no mistake about the significance of capital gains I expect them to be a very important component of Berkshire's value accretion during the decades ahead so obviously they've become very wealthy through capital gains. I can't remember a period since March 11, 1942, the date of my first stock purchase, I think he was 11 back then, that I have not had a majority of my net worth in equities, US-based equities, and so far, so good. Well, that's an understatement, isn't it? America has been a terrific country for investors. All they have needed to do is sit quietly listening to no one. So 
you know, he, the people could have been invested in the S&P 500 and he does encourage, advise people to do that who don't know anything about stock analysis or aren't confident with it. And you would have done very well over that time as we saw over 10% compounding with the S&P 500 over a very long period of time. Now recently on the Art of Value Patreon, I've posted my current stock portfolio, the changes that I've made recently and some commentary about it. And I post other exclusive content on there, all ad-free, of course, bonus material that I don't post anywhere else but there. I'll put a link in the description if you're interested in checking that out and see you over there. He continues with what we do. Our goal at Berkshire is simple. We want to own either all or a portion of businesses that enjoy good economics that are fundamental and enduring. Within capitalism, some businesses will flourish for a very long time, while others will prove to be sinkholes. And we all know some of those that we may have invested in or have seen go down a sinkhole. It's harder than we would think to predict which will be the winners and losers. And those who tell you they know the answer are usually either self-delusional or snake oil salesmen. So people will tell you that these are the best companies to invest in, but it's very difficult. It's very difficult investing. At Berkshire, we particularly favor the rare enterprise that can deploy additional capital at high returns on the future. Owning only one of these companies and simply sitting tight can deliver wealth almost beyond measure. Even heirs to such a holding can uh, sometimes live a lifetime of leisure. So he's saying there that a life of leisure is not definitely not for him. And he doesn't like that. He'd rather be working, investing. We always hope that these favored businesses are run by able and trustworthy managers. Though that is a more difficult judgment to make, however, and Berkshire has had its share of disappointment, so everybody makes mistakes in investing. He says people are not that easy to read. Sincerity and empathy are easily faked. So they've had their mistakes in judging management over the years. Often CEOs are very good salespeople. We've all probably seen businesses go down from untrustworthy management over the time. And this has been some huge frauds in history that testifies to that, that people were heralding the companies over time like Enron and then it all went south. I'm going to leave it there because I don't want to make this video too long, but I might come back to this if there's interest in it to read Warren Buffett's lessons on life and investing. Now, if you're watching this video on YouTube, I'm going to put a link here to what the YouTube algorithm thinks that you in particular should watch next. So go and see that now if you want to. And thanks to everybody for watching or listening, and I'll see you in the next one.